Uh, morning, folks. If we haven't met, my name's uh, Matthew. I'm the associate pastor here. You're very uh, welcome here this morning. I'm glad you're here with us. Um, oh, DeMarco's in back. Welcome, guys. It's good to see you. <laughs> Just draw attention to you guys in the back row. I know that you're hiding there, so sorry. Uh, folks, we're going to uh, uh, talk about uh, the idea of assurance today again. Uh, we're finishing our series this week, really. Um, so how about we pray uh, that God would help us, because we're talking about a difficult topic. We're talking about the opposite, really. Uh, we're talking about falling away. Uh, and hopefully how not to. So uh, let's pray that God would help us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We want to be disciples who endure to the end of the race. Uh, We want to be people who don't just believe today, but believe uh, to the end and on judgment here. You're welcome into your kingdom. Uh, Please help us to think clearly about these issues today, not only for ourselves, but also for those others around us who may be struggling with doubts or backsliding in their faith, or perhaps we're wondering if they've just given it up completely. Uh, Please help us to think clearly about these things and to come to um, solutions and and, uh, uh, teaching that's true and would help us to live in the real world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, the gift to Lord Jesus gives to everybody who trusts in him is confidence. Uh, that's what we've been talking about for a few weeks, really, confidence. Uh, confidence because Jesus died, my sins are forgiven forever. Confidence that because he rose from the dead, that death is defeated, that he can give eternal life to me. Confidence that because he rose into he- he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father, my relationship with him is certain, moment by moment. The Father hears my prayers. Jesus assures that God hears my prayers. Because of Jesus, I have confidence of salvation. Uh, I hope you have confidence too, because that's what Jesus offers. Uh, and uh, if you don't have that confidence yet, today's a tremendous day to, to grab a hold of Jesus. He wants to give you this confidence in the face of eternity. Uh, it's a good day to start right now, right today. Um, but we've also been speaking about the fact that those who genuinely turn to Jesus will continue trusting him for the rest of their lives. Um, they'll run the race with perseverance. And so... Hebrews 3.14 says this, We have come to share in Christ if, indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. See that? The idea is that we trust in Jesus today and we share in Christ if we continue trusting in Jesus firm to the end. And so we've been talking about, we're filling out this picture um, of this guy who confesses the Lord Jesus now and today, but it's not just about today. It's about the fact that he's on this track, on this life journey, this race to the finish line. At the finish line, at the end of his life, when the Lord Jesus returns to claim his people, uh, there is eternal salvation for all those who are trusting in him. And so we're called to continue trusting in Jesus. We're called to grow in Jesus um, as we seek to win the prize of salvation, holding to him until that day. Now, thankfully, that isn't all our works. We've heard that the Holy Spirit, when somebody believes, when somebody's genuinely converted, comes and lives in somebody's heart and seals people for salvation. Uh, guarantees, the Holy Spirit's a guarantee to God's people that they will persevere to the end of the race and that they won't finally fall away and that they will receive salvation. Um, So today we're going to look at one of the hardest questions that experience brings to us uh, in this whole idea of assurance. What about those who fall away? Uh, Our experience, the normal experience of Christian people is watching those around them, not all of them continuing to trust in Jesus. If you've been a Christian for a while, I know you know that's true, you've seen it. when I was in year 12, we've been talking about how the church helps us grow in our faith and see us through to the end. When I was in year 12 at high school, a very, very important Bible study to me was uh, the year 12 Bible study at St. John's Church in Camden. Uh, it helped me in my faith and helped me grow in Jesus an awful lot, a, a good lot. <laughs> um, there were eight people in that Bible study. 
Uh, and five years later, I was the only one of them still following Jesus, still naming him as Lord and Saviour. Uh, I don't know most of those people where they are today. I don't know where they're at. But my experience hasn't been that everybody who claims Jesus is Lord continues running the race of perseverance. And I'm sure you know that as well. Uh, we see Christians backslide in their faith and obedience to Jesus. Sometimes we even see them fall away. They, continue, they fail to continue running the race and reach the end of the race. Uh, many of you may be watching others backslide in their faith drastically, even to outright rejection. Maybe some people you know who once said they followed Jesus now say they hate him. Um, but for a lot of us, it's a lot more subtle than that and difficult to work out than that, isn't it? Um, I just list the sorts of things you might see around you. Uh, perhaps they once turned to Jesus on a camp or an evangelistic service or some other event, but over time it's become as though that conversion experience never even happened for them. Uh, perhaps they started out really strongly, they were enthusiastic about the Bible, they were learning more, they were serving Jesus, and then seemingly overnight they were replacing it with something else. A job came along, a hobby came along, a love interest came along. For some reason that thing has taken the place of Jesus in their life. It doesn't have to, but it has. Uh, perhaps you know people who have simply drifted. It's like they've been occupied by other things and just forgotten that they're a Christian. Or perhaps others, you know, go to church still. And you're concerned because in reality, their claim commitment to Jesus makes absolutely no impact on their lives. Uh, it's normal to watch this sort of thing happen and to be very concerned about it. And it's very, very painful to watch people you care about do this sort of thing and make these sorts of decisions in life. And you start asking, were they converted at all? Did the Holy Spirit guarantee their salvation? What on earth's going on? Maybe God doesn't persevere his people to the end, get to the end of the race. Now, friends, I want you to know straight away... The people who wrote the Bible knew these kinds of situations. They weren't just writing theoretical theology that is just all up in the air and has no impact on the ground. They saw these things. The apostles were shocked sometimes about people turning away from the faith. I mean, last week we read the book of 1 John. 1 John was written to a church that had just seen a bunch of people leave the church, leave Christianity to join some sect. And the apostle John's picking up the pieces and reaffirming their standing in Jesus and trying to explain to them what's happened. The Apostle Paul saw the same sort of thing. He writes in 1 Timothy, he just lists different people who have fallen away from the faith. Hermenius and Alexander, they've made a shipwreck of their faith. Several of the young women in the congregation have turned away from the faith. Various other people have wandered from the faith because they loved money. Others have left because they pursued other beliefs instead. But most astonishing and heartbreaking for Paul, I think, was a guy called Demas. Um, Demas is a companion of the Apostle Paul in his, his journey. So if you read the book of Colossians and the book of Philemon, at the end of the book... There'll be other people, companions of Paul, who say, this person sends their greetings. And there's a guy called Demas who's doing that. Uh, Demas sends on your greetings. He's a companion of Paul. He's part of the ministry team. He's in my job, <laughs> so to speak. He's an assistant pastor kind of guy. And then in 2 Timothy, the last book Paul wrote before he died, he writes very sadly, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. It's not just a theoretical question for the Bible. The Bible's actually dealing with this in a very, very practical way. What about those who fall away? Now, friends, I want to tell you about my approach to this issue. Um, I will not give you a simple answer on this question. I refuse to. <laughs> uh, the reason is because if I did that, I think I'd be misrepresenting the topic and I would be leading you, when you come to apply it to real life, to cause pastoral harm, I think. Simple answers, simple slogans that allegedly sum everything up sometimes really mislead us in how we're actually supposed to respond to issues. Um, I can give you an example. I, just imagine a guy packing his car for his holiday. Uh, he's got the car packed. He wants to go on holiday. 
And so he goes over to a mechanic and says, I want a simple answer to my question. Um, cars with petrol in them, they get to their destination, right? Simple answer. Just give me a simple answer. You give me a simple answer now. I mean, cars with petrol in them get to their destination, right? If there's enough, yeah. If the works. <laughs> I want a simple answer. Can you give me one line? What if it hasn't been serviced for 50,000 kilometres? <laughs> I don't know how it's running still if it hasn't been serviced for 50,000 kilometres. But to try and stuff the answer to that question in one sentence would be completely misunderstand it. So what you need isn't a simple answer. What you need is an understanding of how cars work. You need an understanding of what goes into making a car that goes the distance. You need to know what servicing is and how to care for it. You need to know what warning signs to look for, that something's about to break. You need a holistic picture of what a car is that gets to the end of a journey, right? You need to be able to analyse those things with discernment because you understand how it works. You need to be able to diagnose what state the car's in and what fixes it needs. Matthew, simple answer, please. Can Christians fall away or not? I can't answer it on those terms. So what we actually need is to develop an understanding of what it means to run the race in Jesus. And we need to apply that holistic understanding to the specific situations in front of us because they're all different. And it's just like saying, this car, it's got petrol in it. It'll get to the end, right? You need to be educated, not have a slogan that you're trusting in, is, is, is the point. And so what we need to do is pull together all the relevant factors, how God empowers people to run the race, what means he uses, what signs of encouraging growth or concerning backsliding there are to look for, and so on and so forth. And then we need to be able to pull all those things together with understanding and discernment and be able to diagnose where people are at and how we can best respond to them and help them in God's power. And so James says things like this because he thinks we can actually help in these situations and they are practical situations, not just theoretical ones. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. We don't just want theory. We want to know how to help that person. We want to know how to help each other. and We want to know how to get to the end of the race ourselves, don't we? So um, today I'm going to ask you to think. I'm going to ask you to try and join the pieces together because this is the end of a series and the ideas go together and they help us be people who can, with understanding and discernment, face real-life situations and work, work out what's going with falling away and helping people persevere to the end. Now, Jesus told a story we heard in our reading just a minute ago, Mark chapter 4. Uh, it's a parable about a sower. He's sowing, scattering seed. Seed fell on four different types of ground. Now, a parable means it's symbolic. It's got a, it's, the things in the story are symbolic for other things. And so the seed scattered around is the gospel. It's the message of Jesus. It falls on four different types of ground. The four different types of ground are different responses people make to the gospel or there are four different types of people who respond to the gospel. And in each case, the type of soil the seed lands on determines the response they have to the gospel. Each one hears the good news of Jesus, but they respond very, very differently over time. So let's have a look at it. Parable of the soils. First one, path. Seed hits the path. It's exposed, birds swoop down, take it away and eat it up and the seed does nothing. It's not even there very long. Second one is rocks. Rocks is actually, um, it's a rocky area with a thin layer of dirt on it. It looks like good soil. It looks real nice, but I mean the dirt's this thin. And any seed that implants on that dirt is going to find that there's a rock bed just below it. And when the hot sun comes out, it dries out and it dies. That's the rocky ground. There's the thorny ground. Uh, It also looks like good soil. 
Um, but there's also thorny, weedy stuff scattered into the soil as well. So over time, the weeds grow as well, and they eventually choke the plant, and it dies too. Then finally, there's the good soil that falls. The seed goes on good soil. The seed grows. It produces a crop that multiplies over and over, and vibrant life occurs that goes the distance, that lasts. Clearly, the fourth plant's the one that perseveres to the end, right? It's the, it's the one that has eternal life. That's what, that's what the um, parable's about, really. Now, here's some things I want you to understand about the, uh, the parable. Every person who's ever heard the gospel fits into one of these four categories. But working out which one they are isn't straightforward because we're, our response to the gospel is still in development. You're still breathing. You're listening to me. You're listening to me teach the word of God this morning. And you're going to respond to it this morning. And your response to the word of God into one of these sorts of things, your response to the gospel is still in development for the rest of your life. And it can look very different as time goes on. And so we need to work, uh, which one of these stories represents me and which one represents you isn't finalised because our stories aren't over yet. Our stories are still unfolding. And so Jesus is encouraging people, make sure you're the good soil. Watch out for the dangers that killed the other ones, the soil and the other ones. Now, we're talking about falling away today, so as we think through each one, we'll read through each one in a moment, I want you to think, did this person ever look like they were converted? Did they have a conversion experience? Did they turn to Jesus at some point? Let's read the first one. Um, chapter 4 of Mark, you got a Bible there? Um, chapter 4 of, of Mark, and we'll just look at Jesus. He tells the story, the disciples say some things to Jesus, and then Jesus explains the parable. Um, so we'll look at chapter 4, verse 14 to 15. And here's the uh, explanation of the first soil, or really it's a path. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed, scattered along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. The obstacle of this one's Satan. Uh, They're not interested at all. Uh, Jesus is stupid. I'm not interested. I I don't care. Uh, Does this person ever look like they were converted? No. Uh, we're not, no, nobody's thinking this person is converted and then falls away. That's not what the path's about. Let's have a look at the second one. Verse 16. Others like so, seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The obstacle to this one's persecution Uh, The person responds to the gospel eagerly and emotionally. Like, this is a really good conversion experience, isn't it? With joy, they respond to the word. We like that, and there's nothing wrong with that, but what's wrong with it is what happens next. There's this event that happens that then doesn't last the distance because there's no root. There's no room for the root to grow in their life. The emotional moment of response ends. Difficulty comes up. The hot sun comes out. And when the hot sun's burning, they just can't survive that. Do they look like they've been converted? Yes, absolutely they look like they've been converted. But if you could see below the surface, it wasn't the type of conversion that lasts. It never was. A plan on rocky soil never was going to last the distance. See how complicated it's starting to get immediately. This is why New Testament authors rejoice to hear of Christians thriving and growing in their faith under persecution. Listen to 1 Peter 1. He says... Though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief of all kind, with all kinds of trials, these have come so that proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, honour and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's saying your faith's been proved genuine. 
Persecution is actually a gift. It shows you're going the distance. The hot sun's come out and you're continuing in Jesus. You're growing in Jesus. Now, friends, this is a real problem for us um, because in Australia, it is very easy to avoid persecution. Uh, You can go decades uh, and not really face any strong opposition for Jesus if you keep your mouth shut. Uh, In some places in the world, rocky soil gets exposed immediately. Persecution is such that only the Spirit of God can sustain a person and keep them following Jesus. But in Australia, that kind of hot, sunny day that causes shallowly rooted plants to wither doesn't come for everybody. And so it's very easy for this sort of plant to continue over time, for decades even. Uh, In the absence of real trials for the sake of being a Christian, a shallow connection to church can actually be really attractive for some people. I mean, it keeps your parents happy. It keeps your spouse happy. I enjoy the friendship at church. I enjoy the support of church people. Maybe I even enjoy hearing Bible talks. But none of those things actually mean that that person's deeply rooted in Jesus. It just means the hot sun hasn't come out yet and shown that the faith can't sustain over time because it's not rooted in the right soil. It's not rooted in Jesus. People can occupy leadership positions in our country and be this soil, I believe. And probably the only evidence in our country often that somebody's rocky soil is stunted growth. The spirit of God just isn't changing them. Last week I talked about this guy, George Whitfield. George Whitfield was one of the greatest English-speaking evangelists we've ever seen. In the 1830s, he saw thousands and thousands and thousands of people turn to Jesus. Uh, he preached a message, 8,000 people turned up. That's, that's just normal. Sometimes tens of thousands of people. And lots and lots of people responded to the gospel with emotion, with joy, with enthusiasm. And he wasn't cynical. He was joyful, but he was slow to say, yes, that's the good soil. That's the good crop that will go the distance. Years later, he'd see these same people and he'd see their lives changed as they followed Jesus. He'd see that they've gone the distance and that their heads have been changed. They understand more. Their hearts have changed. They want to know Jesus more and serve him more. They're obeying him. Their hands have been changed and they love each other. He's seeing the spirit at work in their lives and he goes, now I know you're the good soil. Because it's about over time. It's not about I made a profession of faith and I just, I'm able to just shallowly continue being a Christian if persecution doesn't oust me. The third soil, thorns and weeds. Have a look at uh, 4, 18 to 19. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but what's the opposition here? The worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Could you think of a better description of the danger that faces Christians in Australia? Honestly, <laughs> it's the whole list. Which soil we are is still in the course of development. And Jesus has just named things that are part of your life and part of my life. And they're of great spiritual danger to us. There's great spiritual danger because we want the best life now we can have and we want the best life now for our kids too and so it's so easy to follow Satan's lie that the best life for me and my kids is the same as everyone else, following the materialistic dream of those around me, a fulfilling or consuming career, everybody else is throwing themselves into that. Endless activities my kids have to have or they'll miss out. But friends, the best life we can have, the best life our kids can have is being comprehensively devoted to the Lord Jesus, isn't it? I mean, do we believe that? (laughs) And it's Satan's lie 
that other things are actually the things that you don't want to miss out on that can over time strangle the plant and cause it to die. At best, it's to flirt with becoming thorny soil that strangles and replaces the word of God in our hearts. Now, do they look like they're being converted? Yes. Did they go to church? Most likely. How long? Probably a long time. I don't know. Some of them a long time. Would we say they fell away from the faith? Yeah, they claim Jesus, but now they don't. Or at some point in the future, they don't. And there's only one soil that goes the distance. Others like soil seed, uh, seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. The final soil looks the same as the previous two at first, but give time, give persecution, give the circumstances of life over time and whatever comes its way and it will grow and it will produce fruit. And so it's only over time and through difficulty that we really get to see the growth of that soil in relation to the others and say... That's the one that lasts the distance. That's the one who won't fall away in the end. That's the one that has the Spirit of God. Now, friends, I'm going to get you to think today. You can see where we're heading, I hope. Um, I want to recap the big ideas we've been doing in this series, and then I'm going to ask you a couple of hard theological questions that are very practical, and I want you to think about how you'd respond to them because people say this stuff all the time. And, well, hopefully we can become more educated and think clearly and uh, have some discernment about how we answer these things. Now, so we've been saying the race is holding on to Jesus firm to the end. The finish line is where eternal salvation is. We enter the kingdom, right? That's what we've been talking about. And we've been saying that God is at work in the background, which is wonderful news because it's not up to me and my personal ability to get to the end of this race. God chose his people in eternity past. He gives them the Holy Spirit when they turn to Jesus as a guarantee that they will get to the end of the race and empowers them by that Spirit to run following Jesus for the rest of their lives. It's God's work that gets people to the end of the race and that's really, really good news. They don't fall away. But don't get abstract about it. It's actually about practical real life because the means the Spirit uses to get people to the end of the race mainly are his Bible, we hear the word and we continue believing it. We hear the warnings and, we, hear, and we, hear we have to keep running, so we keep running. The Spirit uses the Bible and he uses church communities, people standing shoulder to shoulder with each other running this race of faith, helping each other grow and get to the end. See, it's actually about real life. It's about using the means God gives to get to the end of the race. And apart from these means, the Bible doesn't really envisage Christians persevering. I mean, he gives us the Bible and he gives us his church to help each other. And the means God uses to enable his people to keep developing as good soil are those things. Sorry. The, over, over time, there's, uh, there's life change as well, we've been saying. We've called it symptoms of new life. That is, if the spirit of God's in somebody, well, we've just seen it with the soils, haven't we? Uh, the soils develop over time, they produce crops, if it's good soil. We've seen uh, last week, though, uh, we had a look at it in more detail, looking at the book of 1 John. And here's uh, some of the stuff hopefully people can remember. Now, all Christian, the top bit, foundation is always people who are Christians trust in Jesus, right? It's always the foundation. But somebody who truly has the spirit of God, somebody who's truly in the good soil, grows in at least four ways. Can people remember what they were? Head... Yes, they grow in their knowledge of God, they grow in their godly wisdom, their understanding of God's ways and so on. They grow in their heart, godly desires, replacing worldly desires. I want to please Jesus, not just myself. Hands, obedience to God, 
uh, replacing sin, getting rid of sin in our life, replacing it with obedience to God, right? Fourth one, relationships. It's always interpersonal. It's always there's Christians around me and I love them and I forgive them. I'm unified with them by the Spirit. And as the authors of the Bible see these things in people, they say, wow, that's the Spirit of God at work. And all Christians will grow in these ways over time. So these are the things we look for. This is what the good soil looks like over time and where there's no growth in these things, there's real cause for concern. Now, there's a whole lot of information and you might be feeling overwhelmed, but applying those things to real life and to the types of simplistic things people say about assurance and falling away is really important. Things people say, have a think about it for a minute. People uh, might say Christians can fall away and lose their salvation. Just think about it for a minute. How are you going to respond to that? Do you like that statement? The correct answer is, uh... (laughs) Once saved, always saved. Have a think about it. Think about what the shape of the race looks like. Are you going to say to somebody, once saved, always saved? It's actually really difficult. Because both of them have got some truth to them and yet they're utterly misleading, both of them. Uh, They're going to lead people to make the wrong response to the Lord Jesus and uh, to find assurance in the wrong places. So Christians can fall away and lose their salvation. Well, yes, many people who profess Jesus will later fall away and turn away from Jesus, won't they? We saw that with the soils. But there's rocky soil, there's thorny soil and there's good soil. But we've just seen the Bible teaches the people who are predestined sealed by the Spirit who guarantees that they'll get to the end, right? And so we don't want to say, well, genuine Christians, Christians who really have the Spirit of God, will get to the end. That's God's promise. And so I don't want people to hear Christians will fall away and I feel really anxious now. We should actually feel confident. That's where I want to leave people with assurance. Confidence in God's power that he will see them through to the end, not anxiety. I'm trusting in God, but I don't know which soil I am. Have confidence in God's power and trust in him and seek to grow in him. Don't be worried about... Christians who have the Spirit of God will fall away. They won't, ultimately. It needs to head us towards confidence rather than anxiety. On the other hand, we have once saved, always saved. Well, yeah, what I've just said sounds like that's completely true, but it's actually really, really misleading. Those who are genuinely converted and sealed by the Spirit will get to the end of the race, but they won't be inactive. See, what happens when somebody comes up to me and says, so once saved, always saved, right? Uh... If I say yes, what they're doing is sitting on their backside and not running the race anymore. Whereas people who have the Spirit of God keep running the race. It's actually a practical thing. The Spirit of God leads us to run the race with confidence and not just sit on our hands. Once saved, always saved. Well, it depends what you mean. Provided you understand that by the Spirit of God who sealed you, you will persevere to the end and you need to get on with that. Yes, once saved, always saved. But if you think just because you prayed a prayer once and have never thought about Jesus again, you're saved? No. If you think that at some point in the future you can give up and that's okay before you get to the kingdom, no, that's not what we mean by it. It's actually really, really misleading. It too easily gives the wrong impression and leads Christians to the wrong kind of response. They've got some truth in them, but think about it for a minute. Somebody comes up to me and says, look, I'm really lacking in assurance. And I say, once saved, always saved. God will get you there. What if they're having an affair? (laughs) What if the reason they're lacking assurance is because they haven't read their Bible in a year? They haven't thought about the Lord Jesus and how he saved them from their sins. They haven't articulated that to themselves for a year. And if I just say, once saved, always saved, they're trusting a slogan. 
rather than being redirected towards faith in Jesus. You see how it works out in real life? We have to be very careful with these things. It creates kind of disastrous impressions about how we keep running in Jesus. The New Testament models a different kind of approach to people running the race and to people falling away. It's, it models us being the one of the means God uses to help people get to the end of the race. So somebody beside you is worried and anxious, you can actually help them. You can actually be the means that the Spirit of God uses to get them keep running to the final day. See, the letters of the New Testament were all written basically by pastors, by people who knew real Christians and are writing to them about this race they're running on partially. And they're seeing these Christians grow in the spirit or either have signs that they might be one of the other soils. And the conviction throughout is we can actually make sure you develop as the good soil and not as one of the others. Follow Jesus. This is the means the spirit will use to change you. Some of them have a lot of confidence about the congregation they're talking to and others just don't. Turn to chapter 5 of Hebrews, the first reading we had. Um, We're just going to look at one example of a Christian pastor. Uh, This one's not an apostle, but uh, a prominent Christian leader. And he's speaking to real people in a real situation, and their real situation is they're facing real difficulty in the Christian life. They're facing persecution, uh, and they're facing doubt. The hot summer sun had risen in their life. They're that in that situation with the, in terms of the soils. And they're in the midst of finding out whether they're the good soil or whether they're the rocky soil with no root. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 11. Here's what he says to them. He says, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond these elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. He sees them in their difficulty and their struggle, and they're thinking about turning away. And he says, you know what the problem is? The Holy Spirit changes us in head, heart, hands, and relationships. And you know what? You've just turned off your brain. You've got a Sunday school understanding of Jesus and you're not interested in moving beyond it and that is threatening your ongoing growth in the Christian life and ultimately it will threaten your salvation. Move forward. You don't even seem to care and I want to move forward with these deeper things, things that will have you stable, have you be the good soil, but you won't listen. Sounds like the rocky soil to me, perhaps. We hope not and he hopes not. See, friends, a Sunday school understanding of Christianity is a good place to start, but it won't sustain you through life as an adult, will it? We actually need to know the deeper things in the Bible, and it gives a test about how we're going in the head knowledge side of growth in Jesus in verse 12. His Christians have been Christians for quite a while, and it says, by this time you ought to be teachers. It doesn't mean you should be preaching necessarily. Not everybody should do that. It means you should be able to coach somebody else in the basics of Christianity, You've been a Christian for a while. Do you know who Jesus is and what he's on about and how people get saved? Can you teach that to somebody else who's younger in the faith? You should be able to do that by now, and it's very troubling that they weren't able to do it. Um, it's worth thinking if you're up to that point or not, you've been a Christian for a while. You may not even know that's the direction you're supposed to be heading. But we'd love to see the norm in our church be that people who've been Christians for a while 
have input into the lives of people who haven't been Christians as long and need to learn some things. And that should be a normal part of our church community. So strive after it, pray about it. Uh, we'd love to help you grow in that area. But this guy's worried about this congregation because of how they're growing. Now, then here comes the famous warning passage. Uh, a, lot of, it's, a lot of people find this the most distressing part of the entire Bible. Uh, let's read it. Chapter 6, verse 4. It's impossible for those who've once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, who've shared in the Holy Spirit who've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance, to their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. It sounds like a pretty impressive list of Christian experience, doesn't it? People, I don't know exactly what all of them are, but they, they've known something of the Bible. They know that God is good. They seem to have had some experience of the Holy Spirit, certainly. They know that the word of God's good, and they've seen that, and they've tasted it. They've experienced it. They've seen the powers of the coming age. Is that growth in these things? Is it miracles? I'm not sure exactly, but they've had impressive Christian experience. And he warns them, just abruptly, all this good stuff, and who fall away at the end of all that, who turn out to be one of the other soils. What it's warning against is there's no point in the Christian journey, in the Christian race, no matter how far you get, no matter how long you run, where you can say, right, I'm stopping here, whilst the finish line's still ahead. You can't grow presumptuous. You can't say, I've been a Christian 30 years and you wouldn't believe how God's changed me in that time. You wouldn't believe what I've experienced. Yep, that's a wonderful testimony, but only in the context of continuing to run, of continuing to move forward. See, in the Christian life, you either move forwards or chances are you're sliding backwards and your soil in development turned out to be something else. Standing still in the Christian life is very dangerous. In fact, the warning here is very much stronger, and this is the thing that distresses people. It says it's impossible for people who experience Christianity like this and who then fall away to have repentance a second time. Um, I can understand why that's very distressing. Does that mean that those who turn their backs on Jesus forever uh, can never return to him? Uh, well, literally what it means is is it's impossible for God to restore them to repentance, is what it's saying. Um, how can it be impossible for God to restore them to repentance? Friends, in the Bible we've seen uh, salvation's always God's initiative, isn't it? I am naturally a sinful man who turns away from God, and then the Spirit woke me up, gave me life, enabled me to respond to Jesus and repent and turn to him in faith and find salvation. And without the Spirit, nobody would repent. And so we've heard a wonderful promise that all those God seals by his Spirit will get to the kingdom. Well, here's the corresponding warning on the other side. It's the means God uses to get his people to the end of the race. He's saying, this is what God's saying. If you want to terminate the relationship you have with me, if you really, once you've received the Spirit and experienced so much, you want to terminate the relationship, then I'll ensure that it's terminated. Uh, I won't enable you to turn to me a second time. I enlightened you once. If you're so foolish as to decisively turn away again, my spirit will not bring you to repentance a second time. And it's probably one of the sternest warnings in the Bible. And I know that everybody in this room who has the spirit of God is alert to what you just heard. I am. You can't take that not seriously if you have the spirit of God. Friends, it's like a danger sign on the edge of a cliff. Danger cliff. Everyone with their eyes open doesn't go near the cliff. 
because they know to go near the cliff and fall off would be a decisive moment that would be the end of their walking along the cliff. There's no coming back from that. So God warns his people, don't think you can reject me in return. And we'd best heed that warning. And by the Spirit of God, I believe we will. But you're thinking, what about my fallen friend? I know people who have turned to Jesus and now they don't follow him anymore. Does that mean I should stop praying for them? Does that mean that they won't turn away again? Uh, Actually, no, it doesn't mean that. (laughs) Um, You see, the warning of Hebrews 6 is addressed to you. You know where you're at. You're the one hearing this word from God by the Spirit. But you're not standing in their shoes guessing how they're responding and you're not guessing what their experience has been. You might suspect, but you don't know. All you know is that they are without Jesus, they need Jesus, and you want them to have Jesus. Maybe they didn't have a genuine experience of conversion at all earlier. Maybe there's a day in the future where they will. You don't know. So we hear this danger ourselves, but I don't think it's the basis to judge other people and say, well, you were a Christian once and I I can't tell the gospel to you anymore because God won't bless that. Maybe he will. Maybe they won't convert it at all. So if you've got fallen friends, what I would say is three things. Be clear on their need. First, uh, don't pretend they're something they're not. Speak to them like anybody else who has turned away from Jesus. That's that's what their need is. They need salvation in Jesus. So therefore, pray for them like any other unbeliever and make wise use of every opportunity to talk to them like you would with anybody else that you want to be saved because they need Jesus. And we don't know what their experience has been ultimately. Come back to Hebrews chapter 6. and We're talking about this congregation. He's looking for evidence of God's grace in their life. Why is he looking? Because he's thinking in terms of the parable of the soils. Look at verse 7. He says, Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whom it's farmed, receives the blessing of God. See, it grows. The land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Which soil are they? Well, the way they're growing in their knowledge leaves a bad, is a bad sign, but have a look at verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, he's talking to particular people in the situation they're in. He says, we're convinced of better things in your case, things that have to do with salvation. He's seen things in them. God's not unjust. He won't forget your work. They're obeying him. He won't forget the love you've shown for him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. They love each other. Two of these signs, head, weak, worry, Hands, relationships. Man, you're obeying God. Man, you're loving each other. They're really good signs. I don't think this is... Game isn't over here. But don't stand still. Whatever you do, look at verse 11. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so you, what you hope for may be fully realised. We want you to not become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience, patience on the journey, inherit what has been promised. He's saying keep running. So there's no point in the Christian life where you can say to somebody, I'm encouraged by how you've grown, now stand still. You stand still, you move backwards. You're in danger at that point. Move forward. The Spirit of God moves his people forward. So any experience of growth you have and you see others having should leave us to two things, greater assurance and greater incentive to keep growing. It has to be both. If it's just one, it's it's not going to lead people in the right direction. Now, I want to say two things about application before we finish. Um, Could you turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, please? Um, First thing I want to say about application is, how can I know that I won't fall away? It's a wonderful question because the Bible gives a direct answer. 
How can I know it won't fall away? One, 2 Peter chapter 1 is on page 1225. And we're looking at chapter 1, verse 5. And he's urging them to pursue the change that the Spirit brings, growing head, heart, hands, relationships. He says it in different ways, but they all fit in those categories somewhere. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and the self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. So all those things, why should we grow in those things? Because if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, if you're growing, they will help you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will stop you being a worthless crop. This is the wonderful bit. Uh, Well, the next bit after this is, whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, if you grow in head, heart, hands, relationships, you will never stumble. You will never fall away, is what it's saying. If you do these things, if you're growing in these things, if you're pursuing these things, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's only in the context of living new life for Jesus that you can know assurance, finally. Because it's an experience. It's about actually living it rather than standing still and theoretically thinking, can people fall away? Well, no, I'm standing in the middle of obeying Jesus and growing in these things. And I'm noticing more and more reasons day by day to believe that God has chosen me, that he's keeping me safe to the very end of the race. So friends, grow in these things. The other thing we need to say is that we have a church to help each other. One of the convictions we have at New Life Anglican Church is we want every single person here to be helped and to be a helper of other people. That's what Christians should want. I want to help others in the race, and I want to be helped by others in the race. In our brochure, New Life brochure, you can have a look at the back afterwards. Uh, Basically, on the right-hand side, it tells you what living New Life of Jesus looks like, and one of our values is enduring, and I hope because of this talk you can see why enduring is one of our values. Because if we aren't disciples that run the race to the end, it's all for nothing. It's one of the other crops, not the good soil. And it asks us three questions. You want to run to follow Jesus firm to the end? Well, here's some things to help you. Where are you weak and in danger of falling? Is there sin in your life? Is there material possessions in your life that are driving you, that are going to choke your growth in Jesus? Here's the key one, though. Who knows you well enough to ask this question? Who do you have in your life who has real Christian conversations about how we're going in Jesus and how we're pressing on? Who's helping you? And the opposite is the last question. Who are you strengthening to run the race to the end? We'd love to see a church full of people who are doing that for each other because that's the means God gives by his spirit. That's the means the spirit uses to see his people get to the end of the race. We need to be alert. We need to watch each other. Are they progressing well? Are they struggling? How can I help them? Because that's how we get to the end of the race.